Good morning and welcome to Sharper Iron. Spend the next hour with us studying the living and active Word of God, His two-edged sword of law and gospel, recorded for you in Holy Scripture, all about Jesus Christ, crucified, risen, and ascended for you. Thanks for tuning in this morning here on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. I'm your host, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. Sharper Iron is underwritten by the Lutheran Church Extension Fund, where your investments help support the work of the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod. Visit lcef.org for more information. On this Monday, January 24th, we're studying Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Jesus gives his inaugural sermon at the synagogue in his hometown of Nazareth, where he receives less than a warm welcome. To help us sharpen our faith in Christ as we study God's Word today, we have with us regular guest, Pastor Stephen Preuss. Pastor Preuss serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Benton, Iowa. Pastor Preuss, welcome back to Sharper Iron. Thanks. Good to be back. As we get started this morning, Pastor Preuss, let's talk a little bit of context. Where have we been in Luke's Gospel? What do we need to know leading up to this text this morning? Sure. Well, immediately before our text, we're going to see the temptation in the wilderness uh, but it's probably helpful for us to go back all the way to chapter three. We, we hear about Jesus' baptism and then the genealogy of Jesus. So at his baptism, the Holy Spirit came down upon him. And we'll talk about why that's important today. The Holy Spirit, you know, coming upon him, anointing him. We also hear about the father declaring him his own dear son with whom he is pleased. And then the genealogy also declares Jesus to be the son of Adam. And so... Uh, the context here from chapter three is that he is God's beloved son and he's true man in one person. So he proved this in the wilderness. Then when we get into chapter four, when full of the spirit, we hear again, uh, he was led by the spirit to be tempted. And he was tempted, as we know from uh, Hebrews, that uh, he was tempted in every way like we are because he is truly man. And yet he remained sinless because he is God's son. And so we need both his 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 uh, divine nature and his human nature in one person. Uh, he is this obedient second Adam, the true Israel, faithful on behalf of faithless Israel. And after Jesus then defeats the devil's futile attempts to bring him into sin, we hear that the devil departed from Jesus until an opportune time, which we know is is during his passion. And our text picks up after this. Well, let's jump right in then. We are in Luke chapter 4, beginning at verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and a report about him went out through all the surrounding country, and he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. That's just through verse 15, but I think I'm going to pause there, Pastor Preuss, because it's almost like a summary of what Jesus was doing right after his temptation. Now, you mentioned this already as something's important, that Jesus returns in the power of the Spirit. We, we saw the Spirit be active both at Jesus' baptism and his temptation. Why is this connection of Jesus and the Spirit, why is this such a, a key thing for us to see? Yeah, and it really is. The, the beginning of Jesus' ministry— uh, in Galilee is led by the Spirit. Um, you know, as you said, it, it's in the power of the Spirit, and uh, this is important because, as we'll we'll get into in, in just a little while with the prophecy of Isaiah, the Holy Spirit, uh, the Spirit of the Lord, is is the one who anoints Him and and rests upon Him in His baptism. 
So Jesus being full of the spirit, uh, led by the spirit into the wilderness, the spirit being upon him and leading him and, and, and being with him is actually uh, very pertinent to what, what he is doing, his mission as the, the servant of the Lord, as, as the one who is going to uh, actually do the things that the, that the Lord has sent uh, for his servant to, to bring salvation to the world. So uh, we hear in Isaiah 11, for example, that uh, the, the shoot from the stump of Jesse, right, upon whom the spirit of the Lord will rest. Uh, you know, those who you know, we just went through Christmas last last uh, month and we hear about the, you know, Lohawa Rose Air Bloometh, right? And, and Jesus is the one uh, upon whom the spirit of the Lord is going to rest. He's, he's the chosen servant of the Lord, as we hear in Isaiah 42, who's going to bring forth justice to the nations. And so uh, this this uh, kind of almost like something you're going to pass over, you know, oh, he in the power of the spirit. Well, of course, yeah, that's Jesus. He's always with the power of the spirit. Actually, it's something that we should really emphasize that the spirit is upon him. He is the, the, the chosen servant of the Lord, uh, and he has fulfilled these prophecies, being anointed in his baptism. And now the Holy Spirit is bringing him through the things that he needs to do in order to accomplish our salvation and to demonstrate to us that he truly is the son of God in the flesh come to save us. It really strikes me, having read through the Gospel of Luke, as we are here on Sharper Iron, to see the Spirit in connection with Jesus in this way, because we have seen the Holy Spirit you know, show up in, in a variety of places already up upon other people. You know, For example, in oh, Luke chapter 1, Elizabeth is filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaims when Mary comes to, to visit her. Or you, know, you have Zechariah, who is filled with the Holy Spirit and then sings the Benedictus. So the the Holy Spirit's been active among the people of God in a variety of ways already here in Luke. But now, and, and you'll have to forgive me if I'm, if I'm missing something, but this is at least the third time where Jesus has been very specifically connected to the Holy Spirit. Well, maybe even more if we count like John's preaching. You know, John says Jesus is going to baptize with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes on Jesus at his baptism. The Holy Spirit led the led Jesus into the wilderness for his temptation. And now here goes Jesus again in the power of the Spirit. And I think all of that is leading up to what we're going to read in a moment when Jesus preaches on Isaiah chapter 61, that the Spirit of the Lord rests upon him. That I guess the, the point I, I think I'm trying to make is that the this resting of the Spirit upon Jesus is something unique, something different from what's happened previously with the spirit resting on and moving in people they're connected but it this resting of the spirit this power of the spirit in jesus that's the key to understanding all the other comings of the spirit does that make sense pastor Preuss? or can you add to that yeah yeah i mean it's the same spirit so i mean let's take one of the ones i, I guess one you didn't mention was simeon right simeon is led by the spirit and is told by the spirit that he's going to you know, see the Lord's Christ before he dies. So in that case, you've got uh, the Holy Spirit uh, who is leading forth time. I mean, he he's the one who is going to, uh, in the fullness of time, make all of these things happen for the sake of God's people. And that's, that's what Simeon sees. Uh, and so he's leading forth all of time. Uh, and here with Jesus, uh, he, this is the, 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 what has happened in the fullness of time is that God sent forth his son. And he's born of a virgin, right? Conceived by the Holy Spirit, right? I mean, you have you have the Holy Spirit constantly uh, mentioned, but here it's in a unique way. He is there upon him because he is given to him in a special 
uh, manner. I mean, you have to consider that the Holy Spirit is one with the Son at all times, and yet he is given to the Son. According to his human nature, he is given to, uh, he receives the Holy Spirit, Jesus does, because he he is particularly going to, in his state of humiliation, he is going to accomplish something, a mission, the salvation of the world, uh, the release of creation from its captivity to the curse, uh, and so on and so forth. So there, there's certainly more to Jesus uh, coming in the power of the Spirit uh, in, into Galilee than there is for, you know, Simeon, as our example, being led by the Spirit to, you know, finally see the Lord's Christ. So with, with that in place, then, Jesus is coming in the power of the Spirit. He goes to Galilee. Now, remind us, uh, do a little bit of geography with us. Jesus was being—he was baptized in the Jordan River. He's in Judea, it seems, in the southern part. Now he goes to Galilee. What What's going on here in terms of location? Yeah, so now he is heading into his uh, first uh, part of his ministry. And so, um, you know, this is something for us to consider about where— um, you know, he's he's not in the south here. He's he's more toward the north. And so you have here a different kind of a, an attitude that some people would have toward him. Um, and we maybe just to kind of interrupt that there, there are three things that we kind of see as far as his ministry goes. There are different areas. Right. So the first is his Galilean ministry. That's what we're going to discuss today and, and for a while here all the way until the end of chapter nine. Um, but that follows with his by his, his followed by his journey to Jerusalem, which takes up the second half almost of of Luke's gospel. And so he's journeying to Jerusalem. We see him setting his his face toward Jerusalem and never looking back. And that that, that culminates then with his Jerusalem ministry, which starts in chapter 19 uh, and will take us until, you know, when Jesus is, is crucified. So um, those are kind of the three parts. Well, here in Galilee, it's especially important because it is the, the place that he is going to gather his disciples and his followers. So we'll hear about that in chapter five. Uh, it's where he then instructs his apostles about their future proclamation. Um, we hear Pilate speaking of Jesus as a Galilean during his trial and, and why he ends up, you know, going to Herod you know, and not just being with Pilate. And, and so we hear um, kind of the reasoning behind that. Uh, and it also prefigures evangelization of the Gentiles. Uh, and so there's going to be, this isn't just a, a purely uh, Jewish uh, area. There are going to be, uh, once you get up to the, the borders, you're going to see uh, a whole lot of people who are, are Gentiles and we'll see in Acts, and you know, Luke also wrote Acts, how this uh, going to the, in the having this Galilean ministry actually uh, is prefiguring, foreshadowing what's going to happen when the apostles are finally sent out, uh, which we hear at the end of, of Luke, Luke 24. So, uh, yeah, Galilee is an important place uh, to begin the ministry here. And, and if I can just add on to that with, very briefly about that connection to the end of Luke and the beginning of Acts, when the apostles are sent out at that time, they too then are clothed with the power of the Spirit in Pentecost. I mean, and that's kind of just to to whet our appetites to get through the rest of Luke and then into Acts. The the Spirit who rests on Jesus now to do all of these things that he's then to say all these things that he's going to say and do will then be poured out upon the apostles, upon the church on the day of Pentecost, so that then they go out and I mean, it, it's just I, I think that's. I just want to to throw that out there without getting too far afield from this text, but to to see the foreshadow here 
of what's coming in the giving of the spirit later in the in the narrative. I think it's just to, to point that out. Yeah, I mean, the Holy Spirit directs time. You know, we, we hear about the spirit of the times, uh, you know, it being that which, you know, somebody is, uh, you know, touting some sort of philosophy and it's the spirit of the times and everybody's kind of drinking whatever it is that the spirit of the times is giving them and following that kind of a spirit. And yet the Holy Spirit is actually directing all time and he is directing uh, this ministry of Jesus uh, because Jesus is at one with him and because the Lord God the Father has given him uh, the spirit uh, as the one who strengthens him in his ministry, uh, which is a hard thing for us to understand. I mean, he is a human being. He, yes, he's eternally the son of God, but he's in his state of humiliation, choosing not to use fully his divine attributes. And so here he is uh, being strengthened by the spirit uh, after his his temptation. He's led by the spirit and the power of the spirit to go and proclaim the word. And the apostles have no authority and no power outside of the Holy Spirit I mean, to jump into John's gospel, I mean, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. That's how they can go and forgive sins. And then you jump into, you know, Acts 2, and you, you see there that the Holy Spirit is given to them uh, in order they might proclaim, uh, beginning uh, where Jesus tells them to, to be, you know, into Judea and then to go up into other places and, and throughout the whole world. So, yeah, the Holy Spirit is the one who makes the word of the Lord grow uh, and and that is true through Jesus as well. He's never apart from the Spirit here. So with Jesus, then, in the power of the Spirit, he's in Galilee. What does Luke say about his ministry? Just the short summary here, the report's going out in this region, and he's teaching in their synagogues. What is that saying about Jesus' ministry at this point? Yeah, so uh, this report that's gone out into all the, the surrounding country, uh, you know, and this is a pretty uh, populous area. There are going to be a lot of, uh, you know, towns that have quite a few people in them uh and they've heard about jesus uh they he came to them with a reputation this isn't just you know hey who's who's this man coming into town uh he's a well-known teacher that's what they know they, they believe he's filled with the spirit they they uh they ask him to teach in their synagogues you don't just go in there i mean you can go and read but to actually go up and speak is something that you know you need to have uh some permission to do that so it shows that they that they received him as a respected teacher at least when he came um we'll get to what ends up happening afterwards uh but they also uh expected miracles from him we we hear that in chat uh in verse 23 and so this is kind of the report that's come out and he's then teaching people in the synagogues uh in galilee there are synagogues throughout and jesus is teaching in, in all of them or, or many of them and uh, his teaching is clearly what's most important in his ministry. And his teaching is taking place, you know, more than weekly, but certainly weekly on the Sabbath. And it shows this rhythm to his week, right? Jesus is going to church every week. It was his custom, right? We hear in, in verse 16. Um, and it also shows his care for the people. I, I had said before that, you know, he, he's up in the north here compared to where he was down in the south where the Pharisees would have had uh, more influence uh, in, in the south, and so they have less influence than up, up here in Galilee. And so Jesus is certainly there to teach the people and, and to give to them the truth uh, that we're going to get into here, the content of that truth, or at least the essence of that truth, um, when we, we, he talks about how he's the fulfillment of Isaiah 61. 
you brought up already that in verse 16, which we'll read in a moment, this this Jesus is acting according to his custom to be in the synagogue on, on the Sabbath. Now, we've talked about this with several texts already in Luke. Jesus, we want to see him first as our Savior, but we don't want to lose him as our example. Can you just briefly comment on Jesus as example in, in this matter of being in the synagogue on the Sabbath according to his custom? Yeah, I mean, it's... It's one of those those things where, you know, I was just talking about this the other day. We're going through Romans in our Sunday morning Bible class and uh, the word for obey and disobey have as a root of, of the word uh, where we the, the verb to hear or to listen. And so when Jesus obeys the father, he is listening to the father's word. He's listening to what the father says. And I, you know, I use that as an example for, you know, maybe it's a good idea for us then to listen to <laughs> God says, because it, 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 by, by listening to what God says, obeying his father, he won for you the salvation of your soul and he won for you the resurrection of your body. And so clearly this is a very beneficial thing. And so when you see Jesus, I mean, not everything he, he does, you can mimic. I mean, you can't walk on water. Sorry, but you, you can certainly go to the go to the the church, the place where you're going to learn the teaching of God's of God's word and learn from him who is gentle and lowly in heart and find rest for your souls. And, and that's the whole point of of the Sabbath now fulfilled in Christ is that we receive the rest and peace that only Jesus can give through the forgiveness of our sins which was purchased by his own blood. And so, yeah, let's use him as an example here with the proper understanding that uh, the Sabbath is fulfilled in him. And when he rose from the dead, we've got a, the Lord's day now on Sunday, and we've have the custom to, to go there on Sunday to, to see the salvation that Simeon saw as he held Jesus in his hand, as we receive the very body and blood of Christ and hear his, his word of peace uh, that is given to us uh, weekly. So yeah, great example. I mean, you, you, unless you're talking about walking on water and things like that and these great miracles, it's a pretty good idea to, to look to Jesus as an example for your life. That's right. I mean, if, if Jesus needed to go to church regularly, or if he did go to church regularly, then certainly you and I do as well. So good to see that with Jesus. Now let's go ahead and, and read the rest of the text. So this is Luke 4, now at verse 16. And he, that's Jesus, came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up. And as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? And he said to them, Doubtless you will quote to me this proverb, Physician, heal yourself. What we have heard you did at Capernaum, do here in your hometown as well. And he said, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, 
and a great famine came over all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha, and none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. When they heard these things, all in the synagogue were filled with wrath, and they rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built, so that they could throw him down the cliff. But passing through their midst, he went away. That's the rest of our text for today. That was Luke 4, verses 16 to 30. Pastor Price, Jesus in this text, as, as you get farther along in verse 24, he identifies himself as a prophet. He says, truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. Just looking at this section of the text as a whole, how do we see Jesus as a prophet here? What what similarities does he bear to other prophets in the scriptures? Right. He he bears the similarity in that first he's a prophet who who teaches and works miracles. And as we'll we we just heard, uh, you know, as the fulfillment of Isaiah 61, he preaches good news to the poor. Uh, he has this release for all the captives, uh, which would be for, from sin, from sickness, from Satan, all of that. And uh, this proclamation is, is certainly you know, demonstrated uh, by the miracles. And so that's kind of the first thing we see about the prophet, the teaching and the miracles. But then also we see that Jesus is, is the prophet uh, because he suffers rejection. You know, the world only wants that first kind of a prophet. He, the world wants the miracles. That's what they demand. But the prophets, if we look at the prophets throughout the scriptures in the Old Testament and then with Jesus and, and into you know, the New Testament apostles and, and the Christian martyrs, uh, they're rejected even unto death by those who reject their true purpose. Right. They'll accept them up to a certain point as long as they don't uh, you know, push it. And and Jesus pushes it. So he fulfills both of these truths as as one who not only teaches and works miracles, but also as the one who suffers rejection. Uh, so we'll see that in our text for today, and it becomes kind of a, a foundational thing, a programmatic thing um, as we, we move forward in Luke's gospel. Uh, this is simply the way it works when it comes to uh, being a prophet, and Jesus is going to be the exemplar of that. It's going to be kind of par excellence. Just briefly on that thought of, of Jesus as a prophet, I think this is one of the—we talk about this regularly, say, in, in catechesis. You know, We identified Jesus according to three offices as the prophet, the priest, and the king. So we certainly want to see him as a prophet, and yet we also need to see him as, as more than a prophet, because there, there are times where people will identify Jesus as a prophet, and you can tell that something's lacking there. Can, can you comment a little bit more on that as to why we need to see Jesus, yes, as a prophet, the prophet above all others— and yet as, as more than a prophet also. Yeah, uh, you know, Moses says that the Lord will, will raise up a prophet uh, like him from among his brothers, uh, and it is to him that, that they should listen. And uh, God the Father says in the transfiguration, he says the same words he said in the baptism of Jesus, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased, but he adds the words, uh, listen, listen to him. And so the... The fact that Jesus is the Son of God should not take away from 
uh, the fact that he is the the ultimate prophet, the one who proclaims the word of God. And so every voice of the prophets, every voice of uh, the apostles, every voice of, of the pastors today who proclaim the truth of God's word, uh, this is the voice of Jesus himself. And so if you speak with the prophetic voice, speaking uh that which is God's word in accordance with God's word. You are simply being the mouthpiece of the prophet, uh, God's son, uh, who became flesh for us and, and spoke through his physical uh, vocal cords uh, so that he might, uh, you know, do what, what we can, do, uh, we can only do through him. Um, so it really starts with him. He's the one who is the ultimate prophet. Every other prophet should be looked at through him because they cannot speak, but through him. So Jesus, the prophet, comes to Nazareth where he had been brought up. That's how Luke introduces the scene. Just help, but on this side of the break, we've got about two minutes here, Pastor Preuss, before the break. Just set the scene here for us. Jesus comes to Nazareth. He's in the synagogue. What, what do we need to be seeing? What's the context before we actually dig into what happens with Jesus speaking? Yeah, well, before we actually get into what he says, uh, we should just maybe consider that he came to Nazareth. Uh, and Nazareth's a big, a big town for him, right? He's called Jesus of Nazareth, right? And so this is where he had been brought up, and uh, it's his hometown, and it serves really as the perfect place for him uh, to set the foundation for the rest of his teaching and to reveal what he would preach throughout his ministry. So this is what we're going to get into here is that uh, he's going to set the foundation. He's going to prepare us for the rest of Luke's gospel. Uh, he's going to prepare us for what he is here to proclaim. What is he going to be doing uh, when it comes to miracles, when it comes to the way he is speaking uh, and the things he is speaking? Everything is going to come to a, an un, we're going to come to an understanding of what's going to happen in the entire gospel of Luke. Uh, in his ministry based on this one account. And so this really can be what, you know, what people call a programmatic or, uh, you know, a way to to reveal what he's going to be doing. Um, this is the, that kind of a text. So it is a very foundational text for us as we we head into what he actually says and and how we can then uh, use that for our future reading of, of Luke's gospel. So we will pick that up on the other side of the break. You're listening to Sharper Iron here on KFU. We're looking at Luke 4 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. We'll be right back. Please stick around. Did you know that Lutherans are helping new American immigrants get settled? How about struggling church workers in need of support and refreshment? And we assist at-risk children and provide disaster response to hurricane victims. Through LCMS recognized service organizations, we are doing all this and more. I'm Rahema Kavuga of Lutheran Church Extension Fund, and I don't want you to miss out on hearing what your brothers and sisters in Christ are up to. Visit interesttime.org to see how your support gives life to these works of mercy and love. Welcome back to Sharper Iron. It is Monday, January 24th. We're studying Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30 with Pastor Stephen Preuss. He serves at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa. 
Pastor Preuss, prior to the break, we've set the scene. Jesus is in the synagogue in Nazareth. That's his hometown. This is according to his custom of being in the synagogue on the Sabbath day. And he's there in Nazareth. He stands up to read. He's handed the scroll of the prophet Isaiah, which maybe seems a bit, oh, that's a quite a coincidence. And yet it doesn't seem like a coincidence at all when you find out what Jesus actually reads. And just a by way of uh, you know of intro- introducing this a little bit more the the scene here i think is is very dramatic in the way that luke lays it out you know what i mean jesus goes to the synagogue according to custom he stands up to read it's it's step by step he unrolls the scroll he finds the place he reads he rolls i mean it's just so I, I usually don't think of church services as this dramatic, but the way Luke records this one is just full of, I mean, I, you know, it's like it's dripping with suspense almost. I, I love the way he lays it out. So with, with that in mind, and you can comment on that as you, as you want, the, the main thing that we need to see is what he reads from the prophet Isaiah. So take us into to what happens. Yeah, you know, it, it, we give we give credit to Luke, and we should. He's the human author of this, and uh, the spirit leading uh, Jesus there certainly shows us the uh, the the divine author as well. And so that it's so well set up, uh, we certainly give credit to both. And uh, I think that when when you look at how he does set it up, it it does help you see how God is in control of it all and how he's just, he's just leading it all to this text. I mean, this was not some coincidence uh, for whatever reason, however, God made it all happen, um, whether it was, an, it was electionary or what um, he made it happen so that this was what Jesus would read. And, uh, and it was the purpose of his coming was to read this, to read Isaiah, to read this scroll. And so when he goes in there, uh, he's intending to read the specific prophet in order to set the stage for his three-year ministry. That's that's the intention here. And the prophecy from Isaiah 61 uh, refers specifically to Jesus' baptism. So uh, just as the Trinity was present there, right, we hear about the, the, the Son of God who's in the water, and we have the Holy Spirit descending like a dove and the, the Father speaking uh, from uh, this voice from above. We have the, the, the clearest understanding of the Trinity is there in Jesus' baptism. Well, it's right there in Isaiah 61, too, uh, and actually found in, in many parts of Isaiah, uh, too. But you have the Spirit, who is the third person of the Trinity, of the Lord, who is the first person, the Father, is upon me, which is the second person, the Son of God. And so this baptism has now happened, right? You've got this Spirit of the Lord upon me. He's anointed me. Now what? Right. Well, he's anointed to proclaim the good news to the poor. He's anointed to release uh, the captives. Uh, And this is the essence of Jesus' proclamation during his ministry. It is, in a nutshell, what he has come to do. You know, Isaiah, you know, we've gone through Isaiah before, but Isaiah is. He's, he's one who uh, is, is like a gospel writer. There's so much about the life of Jesus in there. It's, it's as if we've got five gospels. And, and it's just a wonderful thing to see that because you've got these main uh, occasions of, of Jesus' life in uh, the gospel of Isaiah, if we want to call it that. Um, and so you see what it involves when you look at Jesus' ministry. And when you look at this text from Isaiah 61, it involves physical healings, it involves exorcisms, rebuking storms, and it involves forgiving sins. 
You know, this is what we see at the end of Luke's gospel, that they, he's to go and the disciples are to go out and proclaim the forgiveness of sins. So this giving sight to the blind that we hear about is certainly a physical thing. I mean, we hear about that in, in chapter 7, chapter 18. Uh, but we also hear that it's a spiritual thing, and that becomes very evident in other uh, places, too. So Jesus' ministry centers in the gospel, right, the good news in proclaiming, as Isaiah says, the year of the Lord's favor towards sinners, bringing them to repentance and faith in the forgiveness of sins. And then this release, this absolution that's received in faith, finds its culmination when the whole creation is released from bondage in the resurrection. So his miracles, when we end up seeing those, uh, including his own resurrection, are, are foreshadowing this final release on the last day. So what Jesus is saying here is he's saying, this is what my ministry is about. That's why the spirit of the Lord came upon me. The father sent me, anointed me with the spirit to proclaim good news to the poor, to release the captives. And this is going to bring about a final release on the last day. I appreciate the way that you're you're connecting both things, the physical reality of what Jesus does, and as we see it in his miracles, and also then the, the spiritual spiritual reality, and particularly in the opening of the eyes of the blind, I think is one of the places in the Gospels where you see those connected most intimately. And can you tie that a little bit more closely to what happens among us today? Because I think for us, you know, we see this text and we think, okay, well, this is happening, and it is happening spiritually, you know, when we hear the gospel, these things are happening for sinners today. Liberty is being proclaimed. Our sight is being given. We are, you know, we are being set free into this year of the Lord's favor through the hearing of the gospel. But, but how do we, what about the, the physical nature of that for us when we don't see the, the miracles that, you know, Jesus was doing in his earthly ministry? How, how does, how is that still a physical thing for us today? Yeah, the physical thing for us today is we got to be very careful because, I mean, this is exactly the reason why Jesus says that a uh, prophet is not accepted in his hometown, is that uh, they want a miracle, right? Um, So we have to say, okay, Lord, I'm not requiring a miracle, but uh, you did it before, so are are you going to do it again? And the answer is yes. Um, And he's doing it now uh, as we see it spiritually by faith. So when a child is baptized, or an adult for that matter, but let's stick with children, um, I had a daughter born last month and, and I got to baptize. Jesus used my hand to, to bring about a, a resurrection. You know, uh, the child is, is dead in sin and is raised by the power of God's word with that water. And he uh, is, is doing something there that will have an effect on Judgment Day. We call the Lord's Supper the, the medicine of immortality because it gives eternal life through the forgiveness of sins. Because where there is the forgiveness of sins, there is also life and salvation. And so what is going to happen and what is happening now by the power of the gospel, by the power of the word and the sacraments, is God is raising the dead and he is preparing us to be raised from the dead, not just spiritually as we are now, but physically so that we are getting, and you know, to bring the spirit into this, because it's by the spirit's power, we're receiving a down payment, the deposit, so that we will get the fullness of the spirit in, in the resurrection. That's why we have spiritual bodies. It's not because we don't have physical bodies. It's because the spirit will be given to us in full uh, in, in the sense of we will, we will be physically raised from the dead, rejuvenated, and we will put on, you know, as those who are mortal, immortality, uh, and those who are corrupt, the incorruption. So what we are receiving now has eternal 
physical benefits, even though we right now have to live through the suffering just as, as uh, Christ and, and all people who live in this, this cursed world must. But he's brought about a new creation. I remember the, the hymn, Joy to the World, right? Yeah. Far as the curse is found, we've, he's, he's come to bring something new here. So, um, yeah, that's, that's what we have to say. And I know, you know, for a lot of people who are suffering sickness or, you know, scared about all sorts of things in this world, um, that, that's an only seems like a su- sufficient answer. But God works through our suffering and, and we live by faith and not by sight. But one day we will see the glorious face of the Son of God and, and, and rejuvenated bodies. I think your, your connection there to the sacraments is a very helpful one because that is a, a physical way in which the Lord comes to us and delivers his yeah. grace to us right yeah. now. And then the, the connection to the resurrection, well, well as I, I appreciate what you're saying, you know, I know when you're, when you're going through suffering right now, that may seem like, oh, that's just what he always says. But that is the hope that we have. And even, you know, even for those who did receive their physical sight or, or were, you know, in, in the ministry of Jesus— they too need the fullness of the resurrection because those yeah. those ones whom Jesus gave sight to, they still died, and and they too are awaiting that resurrection that we're awaiting right now. And so, I mean, every time we we think about you know Jesus miracles and what this text means for, as, as you said, a programmatic thing for his entire ministry, including his ministry that he's doing through the preaching of the word right now, always have to we always have to be looking forward to the resurrection of the dead because that is where these things find their ultimate fulfillment in that new creation, which is a very physical thing. Our bodies will be raised, and they will be you know, bodies that don't die, that don't get sick. That I mean, all of this is is completely true on that day. And that's, so yeah, I mean, we, we, wanna, we want to see that full reality of this text, and it, it comes in the resurrection. And that's what Jesus is, I mean, again, we see the programmatic nature of this text. So yeah. go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, and, and, and then also, I mean, for those who agree with us, that's wonderful, and, and, and keep agreeing, keep agreeing. But for those who, who might wonder why we love baptism so much, why we love the Lord's Supper so much, I actually believe that one day the Lord Jesus is going to burst through the bread and the wine, and I'm going to see him face to face, and I'm going to be as perfect as he is. I actually believe that. And so that's what's happening. That's what we what we are taught. And so our faith clings to these promises. And as you pointed out, these very physical things that he now gives to us to bring about a physical healing, both body and soul. So, yeah, it's uh, it's great for us to realize, too, that, you know, most people in Jesus day um, were not raised from the dead. And um, I mean, if you think about how many people lived, uh, not everybody was raised. And so it's not like everybody got those miracles either. So um, cling to the word. That's what actually is what you need and cling to the sacraments. That's what he's given the church to have until he does come back. So Jesus has read this text. It's from Isaiah 61. He, again, the, just the drama here, he rolls up the scroll, gives it back to the attendant. He sits down. Everybody's looking at him. And then it, it, I think verse 21, I think of it as like the mic drop moment. Jesus yeah, says, yeah. today this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. To, I mean, that's something that, that you and I would never, well, I don't know. I, I want to be careful here. That's not something that just you and I, I think, would preach on a Sunday morning. We'd, we'd read the scripture and say, that's fulfilled because you heard me say it, right? I, I mean, there's there's something very unique happening here. Yeah, I mean, I I we we are not Jesus, and so Jesus— <laughs> Jesus is there for a special reason, and uh, 
the eyes of all, I mean, you can just imagine they're just looking intently upon him after he reads these words and they, they kind of have this anticipation of this, this man is certainly more than just our regular uh, reader and, and uh, speaker here. And so when he says today, the scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing, uh, they are, they are certainly uh, attentive to what's going on and wondering what's going on. Uh, but he's announced to his hometown synagogue, uh, this prophecy's fulfillment in him today is a very important word, especially in Luke. You see this word repeated uh, again and again and again. Um, and when this word is repeated, what it's really telling us is that the end times have come. You know, Jesus says that, you know, the kingdom uh, has, is now near, that, the, that this is something that we should all realize that in his coming, uh, the end times have begun. And uh, he is beginning to bring about the fulfillment of all the, all the scriptures. And there are many of the scriptures that have already been fulfilled, but there, there are some that are to come as we wait for his return. One of the things he, he did bring about, I didn't really uh, dig into this much when I was thinking about it, but the, the Jubilee year, I find this kind of a neat thing that uh, he's going to bring great release, right? And so the year of Jubilee, everything had to go back to the rightful owners and you know, right now, uh, the devil's given some control and the curse is over the whole world. But but one day, Jesus is going to going to bring all of that to an end. And he he shows that that's going to happen as as he brings this great release uh, through his own ministry, you know, doing all sorts of healing. Yes. And miracles. Yes. But also the proclamation of the gospel, which we still have have today. And so, uh, yeah, this scripture being fulfilled in your hearing, not everybody's going to say that Jesus is doing something uh, history changing here. It's the fulfillment of the Christ coming, the fulfillment of the spirit of the Lord being anoint, anointing uh, the, the servant of the Lord who is going to come and serve not only God the Father, but by serving God the Father, serving all sinners by his redemptive death. Right. So, so in Jesus speaking this way, he is doing something unique to his office in which he's been placed to be the Christ, you know, full of the spirit. This is, this is what you are seeing in front of you. This is what you are hearing right now is, is this reality. It is a unique thing that he says. And, and, and at the same time, this, I mean, just thinking forward through where Luke is going to go and then into the book of Acts. And you mentioned how you, know, you, you baptized your daughter last month. We've had some baptisms here in Smithville recently in that same regard. And and the way you phrase it, I love, Pastor. I think you said, you know, Jesus used my hands to baptize. In that sense, anytime a say a baptism happens, that scripture is being fulfilled right here and now as Jesus gives his Holy Spirit, gives the gift of faith and forgiveness to that individual who is baptized, such that you know, you and I as pastors would not say it with this same sort of like mic drop moment, something in you know brand new is happening in history and yet every time jesus is active in the ministry of word and sacraments today the scripture is still being fulfilled for that person right then and there at that moment does that i mean i want to be careful so that we don't i mean so we preserve the uniqueness of what's happening here and yet see the the continuity that exists in the ministry of the church today yeah, and I think that's where you see that it's Christ's office. The office that you and I hold is not our office. It is the office of Christ himself. And we are the living voice of Christ when we proclaim those words. And, and when our hands are pouring water over the heads of these little infants and those words in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, these are not words that you and I came up with. 
we remind our, our catechism students that uh, this institution, the word institution is an important word, that it was Jesus who instituted this. He set it into motion. He is the power behind it. His word is the power behind it. So I'm a lowly instrument. You're a lowly instrument. We're clay vessels. But what we are bringing is a treasure. And that treasure is coming to us through the voice of Jesus. And, you know, sometimes it might be deeper and other times it might be more nasally. And, you know, it, it all depends on who's speaking the word, but it is the living voice of Christ himself. And so, yeah, we are still in that sense. God is speaking to us. Um, it is just as certain, you know, uh, on earth as it is in heaven. And so we should we should take those things to heart because uh, that that's why you know, pastors are given such uh, respect and honor is not because of their person, but because of their office. That's why, you know, I wear a white collar. I speak the word of Jesus, but I wear a black shirt and, and suit because I'm, I'm a sinner myself. And so there's all, all sorts of reminders we've uh, given to the church and had for customs, um, which are you know, sometimes neither here nor there, but can be very helpful sometimes to to help us understand we are the living voice of Christ when we are speaking his words and the words that agree with with his scriptures. So that living voice of Christ is who is speaking here in Luke chapter 4. Today the scripture's been fulfilled and you're hearing the mic drops. What's the reaction from the crowd? On the one hand, it, it sounds good, but then as the way the text progresses, you see something's not quite right. What's going on with the crowd? Yeah, you know, in the Greek, it just says that they, they witness and then they marvel. And the translation just asserts that the people spoke well of him, and that's how they're translating the witnessing, um, and that, that he mar they marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. Uh, but really, I mean, the overall reaction is that of confusion. So the words Jesus spoke from Isaiah, I mean, they're certainly right in saying that they're gracious words. I mean, you're not going to find uh, words that are, are more dripping with the gospel and with the love of God than, than in Isaiah 61. I'm sure, sure there's, it's all over the place, but it's just so, so well put there. Uh, and so they marveled certainly that he would claim to be the fulfillment of those words. And that's all true. But, you know, at the same time, I, you know, spoke well of him. I don't, I don't know if that's really the best way of putting it. Uh, they certainly knew him though, as Joseph, uh, Joseph, the carpenter's son. Right. And so, uh, really, I think the best way to look at what they're doing is, you know, as they're marveling is they're bearing witness that this is this is somebody, but they're bewildered in their wonder, baffled in their amazement that, um, you know, this this man is saying what he's saying. But if, if this alone were what Jesus taught, right, going back to that prophet Christology we were talking about before, um, and, you know, he's followed it up with a few miracles, you know, maybe they would have received him, but Jesus continues teaching about how prophets suffer rejection. And that's the other part of this prophet Christology. And so we'll get into that. But yeah, they're, they're not against him at this point, but they're certainly kind of confused and, and they're amazed, but, but kind of baffled at the same time. Mm. Well, and, and Jesus then, I think he, he reads the crowd correctly, if I can say it that way. And he, he knows what's in every man, as we hear from, from John chapter 2. And so he, he then says, well, okay, you, this is what you're thinking. Let me respond to that. He quotes this proverb, physician, heal yourself. You know, do, and we want to see you do these things. How does Jesus respond to the crowd's reaction? Yeah, so you know, is, this, is not this Joseph's son? And so he says, okay, now you're going to, no doubt, quote to me this proverb, Phys physician, heal yourself. Uh, 
it, it really what he's saying is they want him to do a miracle like they had heard he did in Capernaum, right? And the use of this proverb is really kind of interesting. Um, I had I had never really paid attention to this, but you know, what do they what does he mean by this? Heal yourself. Uh, and some have actually made the suggestion that Jesus adopted Father Joseph. Uh, was dead by now, and heal yourself means heal your own family. So, right, raise raise Joseph, your father, from the dead. Or maybe just, you know, physician heal yourself means, hey, you're in your hometown, you're in Nazareth, so heal your own town, heal all of us. Why aren't you doing that? And so they wonder why Jesus will not use his power for this. Um, they don't even consider it's not thy will be done, right? They, they only consider what thy what they want. And and so it's it's this is kind of what's going on here with Jesus is he's his response is you know you're going to tell me to do a miracle, and I'm not going to. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to. And he and he has some Old Testament background for this. So he brings up two examples: one from Elijah and one from Elisha. What is well? And and before that, he says no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. What? How how does Jesus? I guess back up what he says, but I'm not going to do a miracle. What, what's the evidence that he gives? Yeah. He, he this, this saying again, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. The, the illustration uh, is with the examples of Elijah and Elisha, two very familiar stories for, for those of us uh, who, you know, have been, been taught that the old Testament, at least the major stories. And uh, it's in the, the, the church year, you know, each year, Elijah, we know is not accepted by Israel. Uh, and God then, we hear, sent him to the Gentile widow of Zarephath. And uh, then also this, we hear about how God allowed the Gentile Syrian leper Naaman to be cleansed by Elisha. And so these examples of Elijah and Elisha, what Jesus is doing is he's putting Nazareth, his hometown, in the same camp as like King Ahab and the faithless Israelites. And they don't. They don't like that. And and he's also anticipating his mission to the Gentiles because he's talking about the widow of Zarephath and the Syrian leper, Naaman. And so these what, what he is uh, trying to communicate to them is that they are of the same stripe as these people who have rejected the prophets. And so, I mean, it's not a very friendly thing to say to them in the sense of, you know, I think that you guys are uh, going to receive me well, and you're going to be, you know, so grateful that I, Jesus, have come to you because I'm from your own hometown. And I mean, there's no parade for him. There's nothing like that. Instead, they're going to be treating uh, Jesus just like Elijah was treated by by Ahab and Jezebel. Is this? I mean, is this Jesus like echoing John the Baptist preaching? You know, earlier we heard John the Baptist preach, "You're a brood of vipers." You don't have Jesus. Like in say in Matthew, you know, when Jesus comes preaching in Matthew, it's the first thing he says is repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Is that like this expanded version? I mean, is that is that kind of what's going on here? Jesus is saying, This is really who you are, so you need to repent, much like John came pre- preaching repentance. Yeah, and I think it's just I mean, again, since it's programmatic, I think what he's doing here is he's just he's demonstrating that this is just the way it is. I mean, they crucify the prophets, they kill the prophets, they attack the prophets. Um, they fill up in themselves uh, what the prophets or what the, their fathers did to the prophets. 
And so uh, this is just simply another way in which, you know, the master sends his his servants and they they kill him <laughs> and and they they he sends the son and they and they kill him and and that's that's the way it's going to to continue and so yeah it's certainly i mean it's just with john the baptist it's the same way and john's proclaiming the same word and it's it's the prophet's voice to say these kinds of things even though you know people aren't going to want to hear it i mean you think back to like jeremiah for example who proclaims things and Hananiah who proclaims things and Hananiah just says, Oh, it's going to be great. You know, it's like, no, it's not. The Lord said, this is not going to be great. And Jeremiah, you know, proclaims that. And what do the people want to hear? Well, they want to hear the false prophet. Their itching ears will hear what they want to hear. And so I think what's going on here is Jesus is just simply saying, this is the way it works. When you're in this wicked world and people want miracles instead of suffering and they don't want God's truth. They want their own their own theories. That that's just the way that you, the the faithful preachers are going to be treated, most especially then Jesus, the Son of God. Well, and, and that's precisely what we're going to see here in this text. We've got oh just about two minutes, Pastor Preuss. So this has been a fantastic conversation. Help us to to wrap this up. What do we? What's the crowd's reaction? How does Jesus respond? And then how is that going to propel the rest of this narrative and Luke forward? Yeah, so the people are are, are just angry. Uh, they know exactly what Jesus is saying, and that Jesus is lumping them in with, you know, the faithless Israelites and King Ahab and the likes of of him. So uh, this is not the Messiah that they wanted. They wanted a Messiah who is just going to do miracles, and they wanted they they wanted him to, you know, teach these great things. Uh, it, you know, they're marveling that he is the fulfillment of of Isaiah 61, and they, they'd love that. Uh, but they then end up rejecting him and actually fulfilled Jesus' prophecy by rejecting him. And by rejecting him, they don't just say, we don't like you, go away. Uh, instead, as we hear, they, they actually go for him physically, uh, and Jesus miraculously passes through the midst of them. Uh, this is the only time people try to physically assault him before his trial that we hear of it here in Luke. And it's it's quite an ironic way of doing it because here they want a miracle, right? Jesus wouldn't give them one. They try to kill him, and then he escapes their destructive plan by a miracle. And so he, he, uh, he won't give it when they want it, but he does it when he knows it's for the sake of the salvation of mankind because that's that's what he's there for and his hour was not yet so he was not to be killed so he uses the miracle to pass through them his ministry had just begun that's what we're talking about today this is the beginning of jesus ministry he has more places to visit ultimately his journey uh goes to jerusalem and does lead to death but that it's it's a, his appointed time and the spirit will lead him there too and ultimately then to the resurrection so this is kind of where we end here and it's, it sets us up for the rest of Luke It's in, in, in all of Jesus' ministry. Pastor Stephen Preuss is pastor at Trinity Lutheran Church in Vinton, Iowa, helping us today with Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. Pastor Preuss, thanks for being our guest today. Thank you. I'm your host here on Sharper Iron, Pastor Timothy Apple of Grace Lutheran Church in Smithville, Texas. If you have any questions about Luke chapter 4 or any of the gospel according to St. Luke, send an email to kfuo at kfuo.org or use the open mic feature on the app to send a message to us. We always love to hear from you. Thanks for spending the morning with us. Talk to you again tomorrow.